This is like a controversial topic now. Oh, wait, are we supposed to be monogamous? <laughs> oh, <laughs> got some explaining to do. Yeah. It's easy for someone to say, oh, yeah, like, look at these guys. They're slummy landlords. Yeah, I don't understand cameras. It's not something that brings me joy. Bitch, you would not have a video to watch if it wasn't for me. I don't like to discuss our history with real estate. I really think it's something that we should be proud of. We just need to make enough to put Put on a batch of homebrew once a month and plant our little gardens. We don't need to be out here on private jets. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Tangents with Tyler and Todd. I'm one of your hosts, Tyler. And I'm Todd. How was your week? It was really, really nice for a couple of reasons, mainly because it's finally snowing. It is so wintry and just beautiful out. You can probably, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can probably see out the windows. It's just, ugh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I think it's also exciting because it's our first winter here. So yeah. we're getting to see the property through all the seasons. And it was also, I found, last winter was kind of the same here. Like very gray and dreary yeah. and just... Because there was no snow and no frost, the yard was just a muddy mess. And it's not very, like, it's very hard to get through those times, I find. Very dreary. Yeah. I Those days can be nice because they're not as cold. But weirdly, once it starts getting into, like, February, I want it to be just... I want it to be winter, like actually yeah. snow on the ground. You're not like, especially the dogs. We go for a walk every morning with them. And when, there's no, when the ground isn't frozen... They make this place such a mess because their whole undercoat is just like filled with mud. Not so much Eddie. Um, yeah. It probably comes as no shock, but Charlie definitely gets way muddier on the walks. If he sees a mud puddle, he's going right oh, through yeah. it. He's splashing through it. Eddie prances around them. And also Charlie, I find his fur is just kind of like a vacuum. Like yeah. if we go to the beach, Charlie brings a miniature beach home with him every single time because it just gets like up in his undercoat. So true. Yeah. We're on the we're on the tangents early here today. <laughs> yeah. But another really exciting thing this week, we've like confirmed we have a plan to go on a trip, which is really exciting. And the best part about it is we're not going on the trip. It's our whole family, which I'm so looking forward to. We've never done a family vacation before. And your mom is turning 60. And it's just like the perfect opportunity for everyone. Like your mom, your dad, your brother, his wife, and our niece and nephew. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. I'm, I'm really looking and forward to it. And we're all just going to like sort of fly down to like, because my brother lives in another province with his family mm -hmm. and then my parents are here with us. So we're all going to fly and meet down there. And it's just going to be, it's going to be really fun. And then the other thing is we get two this year. Mm -hmm. Like we're really living now that we don't have the pressures and commitment of the land. Not only does my mom turn 60, Tyler's mom is also turning 60. So then... Well, we couldn't go on a trip with <laughs> just your family for your mom's 60th birthday. So later in the winter, I think probably in like maybe March or April, we're going to go somewhere with my family. We still have to like figure out everything. But I, I don't know. It feels really awesome because last winter and the winter before and the winter before that, if we left, as you guys know... There was no one to continue like stogging the wood stove full of wood. It also sounds kind of weird because sure at the land we had milestones to work towards. So keep working towards this and you're going to have power. That's something that previously we had always taken advantage of, of mm -hmm. always having electricity. So it never felt like 
it, sure, it felt like a win when it happened, but working towards it was not the same as working really hard so you can go on a nice relaxing vacation yeah. and spend time with family versus like working really hard towards something so that you don't have to use a gas powered generator anymore or sit in the dark or burn candles or just have heat. Mm -hmm. It's different. So I find it really nice, like something to look forward to. Yeah. It, it helps you get through the winter a little bit. And yeah, I think the big the big difference is the last few years we haven't been able to go on on trips because of the land and then because of covid there was always like this reason or excuse but back when we had our jobs and we lived on the other side of the country we had this like toss up of we didn't get to see family very often and we only got 3 weeks of vacation away from our jobs so we lived in a place that was really cold so typically on our vacation days, we would want to go somewhere warm. We would like have this trip in mind that we would always look forward to just mm-hmm. to like get away from winter. And you would think that with the complete flexibility we have in our schedules and the ability to, you know, go on vacation when we want, cause we work for ourselves. We haven't been on a vacation in years, which is really sort of like weird. It's not what you would think it would be. Well, it's also, just so much has changed in the last couple of years in our life of not only what we do, like obviously our jobs have changed, but also what we want out of life yeah, and how we view things. Cause yeah, I just find like we could go, but I think before, like if we didn't have the land project, we would have just kept traveling, just kept going. Mm-hmm. But now I find we always put something in the way or something always comes up in the way. Not anymore. No. It's funny. This was like kind of an intention or a resolution, if you want to call Intentions. it. From a few episodes ago. But the fact that we're honoring that, that's what's cool. But kind of going to what we're speaking about today of, you know, how we've gotten to this place on being able to choose our own freedom and our own schedule, we put that in motion years and years ago, like probably 10 years ago. Well, we realized, I think in second year. So in second year of university, we got our jobs at the bar. Mm -hmm. And I think you were working somewhere else. You were doing like those promo booths where you go to Costco. It wasn't the one that hands out samples, but if you, it was like razors, you would just be there giving information about like the five blades. Yeah. Sometimes like when you go to Costco, there's like Tide pods or like there will be like a random thing that they don't actually give you a sample of like and you can't eat it obviously but people have tried to eat the pods there's just like a brand ambassador it's called that sits at the table I would just go to Costco for like all day Saturday sometimes Saturday and Sunday if, if if I was like lucky enough to get the shift but that paid really well compared to like pretty much any other job so but it was still someone else was telling you what to do someone yeah. else was telling you when you had to be there and we learned. Very on that we both enjoy business. I mean, we started selling the garbage in like used furniture that people would get rid of. Garbage to them. Yeah. And prize possessions to us. Clean it up, fix it up, you know, get it ready. And then we'd sell it on Kijiji, which is kind of like a Craigslist Craigslist, um, in Canada. And that was our first taste of like being our own bosses and being rewarded for that and having the freedom that it allowed. We knew we wanted more of that. And then but so, on a much bigger scale. Too. Yeah. So we, we kind of like, 
I guess, stumbled onto this show. It was really popular in Canada. It's called Income Property. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. We were like so addicted to it. Basically, any of those shows on HGTV where they were like getting a property for the purpose of renting it out for the cash flow, we started like learning about those types of things. We were like, wow, so passive income, huh? We thought it was really cool. Yeah. Also, it didn't um, it didn't hurt that Scott McGilvery was the host because yeah. he was a piece of eye candy. Yeah, so he was definitely good to look at. But it really got us thinking like, okay, like it seems really interesting. It was going to bring like the skill set that we both needed. So you're better at finances than I am. So you run the budget when like we, when we were trying to decide, okay, if we want to go down real estate, who's going to take on what? You like budget, you like finances. So you were... When the time came, we had it planned. You were going to be the one to kind of look after figuring out the mortgage and putting a budget together of what the renovations are going to be. And I was going to be more of on the tools and working with the design and sort of because I enjoyed that. Like I was always a busy body. Keep in mind, this isn't this figuring out of who's going to do what. This at this point was not reality. This was we were second year university (laughs) being like. (laughs) No, we had literally no money, but we had this entire business plan of how are we going to manifest this? And had we have not done that and spent hours and hours just daydreaming about it, I don't think that it ever would have happened. No, but it's also like it gave us something to work towards. So we sacrificed like the social side of university for the most part. We didn't go on the spring break trips. We didn't go drinking every weekend when our like friends would always be inviting us out rather than being at the bar drinking. We were working at the bar serving those that were drinking. So we could be putting money towards our goal of buying a property, our first house. And we wanted something to fix up. So it was just always like, I think that was a drive to keep us working as well. But then reality set in. So by the time we were... It always ruins it things. Ru- it's not fair. I don't like reality. Yeah, me neither. But <laughs> you got to roll with it. But when we got into our fourth year of university, I remember distinctly after saving, keep in mind, we were busting our butts. We had scholarships. We had all of these things. And just to like pay for everything, we were we had, I think, maybe like five or 10,000 saved towards our first down payment. And that was after four years. It was really, I think, just eye-opening how long it took to save our first nest egg in order to buy our first house. But something very fortunate, I was going to say lucky, but it was a lot of hard work. In my fourth year of university, I spent the summer of going into fourth year applying for every single scholarship I could find. I applied for probably maybe 50. You wouldn't believe the amount of essays that I had to write in order to apply for all of those. But I ended up getting a lot because I had almost a 4.0 GPA at the time. And it was nuts. So I had enough to pay for all of the schooling, all of our living expenses. We bought that um, green couch set. Yeah. That was also with that. But also, I want to give you a bit more credit than just saying it was the summer before. So in your first semester of first... I got a lot of scholarships. Yeah, yeah. but even in your first semester or first year, like you were having fun at university and got put on academic probation because your grades tanked. And so... um, my I just want to say, 
my first year of university, my GPA was a 1.07. And I got a letter from the university when I went home for, for Christmas that said, you have one opportunity. You need to get your GPA up to 2.0. You're the average. Including those ones that are already down here across all of them. You have to bring it up. You have to bring it up to at least 2.0 by April. So I only had four months or you're kicked out of school. That was my wake up call. Props to the university though for doing that. Oh, they don't play games. I feel like that. Well, it ruins their reputation. Like they're <laughs> a good, we both went to a good school yeah. and they don't like want people they could have easily just kept taking your money and let you fail at the end, but they yeah. want people that are there. Cause if you're not there to learn, they'd rather sell that seat to someone that does want to come there. Absolutely. And learn. Yeah. But it is pretty cool. The transition of going from being on academic probation, getting two C's and two F's in my first year to getting a complete free ride in my fourth year of university and having enough left over that we were able to put down our down payment on our first place combined with the selling of the garbage. Like it and the textbooks. I haven't actually never thought about that before, Todd. If that, if I wasn't on academic probation, maybe I wouldn't have had that fire to completely overcorrect and be like it was such a good student. Second semester was the first time I ever saw you open a textbook. Yeah. <laughs> so it did work. <laughs> In case you're wondering. I'm not as smart as Tyler, so I didn't get any scholarships, but that's okay. I got to live off yours. <laughs> yeah, you benefited <laughs> from them. But the point being, though, that once once we bought our first place, that was really eye-opening on, you know, the power of real estate. Every month now, we were paying down a mortgage that this house would eventually be paid off versus renting. We felt like we weren't going to get anywhere and we knew that we wanted financial freedom one day. But where we really started, I think, to understand the power was, so obviously we had never renovated a house. We had never owned a house before. So we, I think as we started completing a project, it was very motivating because mm -hmm. so the house we bought needed a lot of work. Like it was a complete got in the basement and upstairs we were able to put some like it was more cosmetic upstairs like the cabinet banks were still in good shape so we were able to paint those but i think as we started completing a room and being like wow like we took what it was and now created this and because we had like we love real estate every single day you and i are on the real estate websites and reading the articles and just watching the market, we find it very fascinating. It's kind of a passion that you and I both have. And I think as we were completing the rooms, we were able to see like the investment that we were making. And mm -hmm. from it, our time, you mean? Like, yeah, like, okay, this room took three weeks of working every single night from four o'clock when we got home until midnight, doing it all again. But look at it now. And then we were, we'd be like, okay, this would add X amount of value mm -hmm. if we were to sell the property. It was kind of like a game almost. Like it was, it was just something that we were like, this, we can really make a go of doing this. It also, I'm just thinking like, it's kind of cool going back through these like stories and like the timeline of things. Cause I'm able to look at it from a different angle now that we're not in that time. But I think it also, part of what was fun about that first one was 
it tied into our extreme couponing phase. So we in third year got addicted to coupons. We had a massive stockpile. It was, it was just so much fun. And it wasn't always, we were heavily influenced by TV. Clearly very, we we watched extreme couponing and these ladies, they had like the biggest ring binders you can imagine. We had those binders. Yeah, We did have those binders (laughs) with like the little, um, hockey card sleeves so you could put all your different coupons pre-sorted. I can't believe we're talking about this, but we lived in an apartment building and every single person that lived in that apartment building, there were hundreds of units, they just threw their flyers away and you could go down just like in the like recycling room and just take all of the flyers that had the coupons in it. So we had this whole thing where we... we were able to buy like deodorant for free, shampoo for free, but then we started figuring out how you can actually get paid to buy something. So basically you could stack deals. So if you used your loyalty card, plus your coupon, plus you got it on sale, plus there was a mail-in rebate, we were getting paid by Walmart to take stuff out of their store that we could donate. But we weren't being wasteful with it. So no, like a good example, like we shared all of it with our family and friends. And we donated a lot too. We ran out of space in the apartment. So we actually took my old, the closet in my childhood bedroom at my parents' house for our overflow stockpile. Mm-hmm. And they were allowed to take whatever they wanted from it. That was the rent for the closet. But a good example was... Um, the women's shaving cream. Yeah. I still remember that one. The way it worked out when it would go on sale just right and the coupons would align, you'd get a dollar back by buying the tall can of shaving cream. Obviously, we're not going to be shaving our legs, but we were getting a dollar towards our grocery bill. And then we were giving those shaving creams to our cousins and our friends and our moms, anyone that could use it. So we were helping them, but also we were getting financially rewarded by having a dollar off of the grocery bill. Yeah. I, I totally forgot about that. That's like a, that's a podcast in itself. Like I could go on about couponing. I don't think it's the same anymore though. Like I don't think oh, you can. I bet you. If you could, maybe. I just don't think the sales are there. Not in Canada with inflation. Yeah, Like true. the coupon prices haven't gone up, but the sticker price at the store has. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. But, um, so what I, how we got onto this is I feel like that led into the house reno. So I still remember when the paint that we liked went on sale, like mm-hmm. we had researched what we the thought Seco. was the best, the Seco paint. <laughs> yeah. When it went on sale, we went and bought all the paint we needed for the house all at once, yeah. but we didn't tint it because we didn't have the um, paint they thought colors. We were crazy. They thought we were so crazy. I think we left with like 20 cans of paint. But I remember the sale, buy two cans, get one can free. Like, so, so crazy. And it was a one, one time a year sale. So we stocked up. And then as we got to a room, we would take the can back to the hardware store and they would tint it for us. And then we would just go and paint the room, but we had that savings. Yeah. So I think that was also part of it. That's just one example, but we always loved shopping around to find a deal, whether it was going to Habitat for Humanities Restore and seeing what we could get there. Because it's not just used stuff at those stores. There's a lot of new product that people have lost the receipts and can't return it. Or who knows what the reason is. Overflow. I think sometimes like Home Depot will send their overstock there as well. Yeah, it's definitely an overstock situation. But that first place that we moved into we had no intentions to sell it. Like it wasn't like we were flipping properties or doing anything like that. We just 
that was going to be our home that we were going to live. I got my first job. We were lucky enough to get that place. And the goal was to renovate it. So it's worth more at a future point. And we, we had the option to put a HELOC in place yeah. and pull that equity that we had built into we'll, the house. We'll get into that yeah, later. This was our intention. Um, and then use it for other things. Yeah. But um, that didn't happen. Yeah. So with that first house, it was the right decision. It was definitely hard. It was one of the hardest things we ever, I had to do because it was my first time moving away from home, like where I was, where all our family and friends were. My whole life was in Nova Scotia. But we had an opportunity. We talked about this in a podcast for Tyler to take a job across the country and of course, we we had to take it. Like, yeah, it was like, too good of an opportunity to say no to. Yeah. Plus, in that city, Todd got an, an amazing offer for his first full time job too, and it was just like, it it made financial sense to do it. However, we had only been in that place for nine months, but during those nine months, every single evening when we got home from work, we were working on the house. So by then, it was so much nicer than when we bought it. And when I got transferred on the other side of the country, we had to sell it. And the amount that it went up in value was mind-blowing. Well, we knew... Okay, so there's two things. One, we might have priced it a little too low. Yeah, it sold in the same day. It sold in 24 hours. And if you look at real estate in Nova Scotia in 2014, that was unheard of of the time. Like Properties were sitting for three to six months before they start to see some action. And this one just... We don't know if we priced it too low or we just knocked the renovations out of the park, but... It was also a good sign because we were down to the wire of when we had to go and we needed the money that we had made in this house. We needed that money out of it, the house to be sold, because the way that we had bought our house out west, the next day we were to take possession of it. So we needed the money to go for the down payment on that next house. Yes. And the great thing was the area that we moved to on the other side of the country in Edmonton that was a more expensive market for us to buy a house in. So had we have not spent the last nine months creating that equity, even though we didn't know at the time that we were going to need that, it it helped us so much. And that's kind of like, I guess, another example, this real estate stuff that we decided to get into, it has given us so many opportunities to take the next step on something that we wouldn't have otherwise, because We learned, like we were talking about before when we worked at the bar, saving those paychecks every week and not having our money working for us and growing, we were never going to reach the goals that we wanted. No. And not that real estate was just a vehicle for that, I guess. Yeah. And it's not that they're ambitious goals of, you know, we're not out here trying to be the biggest multimillionaires in the world. It's just the fact that we wanted control of our life. So, an example, when I worked for the city, I was in a pension plan and some people like pensions. I didn't like that because my money was tied to someone else ma- someone else managing my retirement comfort. And yeah. that scared me. And I think real estate was something that you and I were able to take the money that we were making, invest it, and then invest our time and our brains and our labor to make more money. And you can't do that in a, in a stock market. I can't go yeah. to Wall Street and be like, I'll pave the road for you. Like, I'll, I'll shovel the snow. Can you top up my investments? Yeah. Like, it doesn't work like that. It is true. We basically, we, we went to work in the day. And then in the evenings when we were renovating 
the second place, like the one that we moved into in Edmonton, that was like a second job. We were making ourselves money that we wouldn't normally have had. Yeah, exactly. But also having fun along the way. Like when I look back, I liked my job because of a lot of the coworkers in my facilities. It was a great community, like team that we had. I didn't like the organization and the management. So that was the job I didn't like, but it was, it, it allowed me to go in, put my eight hours in and then go and do a job or a pastime that I like. So renovating, I love it. Love working on things, being busy, using my hands, being creative, like solving a problem. I really like a task that you can see progress at the end of the day, if that makes sense. So like a perfect example I use all the time is I would love to be the person that stocks the shelves in a store at night because I come in at the end of the day, no one's there to bother me. I just put my headphones in and bop to my music and I have all these boxes sitting in the aisle. And at the end of the day, I have to have all the boxes emptied and the shelves need to be filled. Like I would love it, love it. Have such a system going, find the efficiencies. It's just- See, that's why Todd always handles that side of our <laughs> projects. Even in the projects that we do now today, you're mainly the one figuring things out and like on the tools where I'm on the planning, the editing, the filming, we're both doing a creative task, but we just like different aspects of it, which I think is why we're such a good team, especially when we're renovating a house or doing a project. We each have our strengths and we're each bringing something different to the table. Yeah, that's something that I find it hurts me when I see comments that say, I do all the work, Tyler never does work. They don't happen all the time, but they do pop up. And I find them kind of a gut punch when they do appear because people- See, I'm not like that. I'm like, bitch, you would not have a video to watch if it wasn't for me. That's the thing. There'd be no footage. Like I don't do filming. I don't understand cameras. It's not something that brings me joy. All like this, creating the podcast, like you, you definitely could figure out something, but I'm the one that likes the the sound quality, the doing all of that. But then again, what projects would we be, would we be filming if it was just me? You can have great lights and great sound and all of that. <laughs> nice B-roll sequences. Yeah, like it. That's why I just think we're we're such a good team. Yeah, I think so too. So yeah, I guess back to like moving across. So when we were we had just finished doing our first house and we saw the reward and we were like, wow, that was really fun. We enjoyed it. So when we were moving, we said to our realtor, Hazel, who was amazing. She was a really nice lady from Scotland and just the sweetest soul ever. We said, don't take us anywhere that has stuff done. Like we didn't want a room at all in the house to have been remodeled, redone. We wanted to do all of that ourselves. We wanted something that was just a complete gut because we wanted to create that value. We we had that experience. Wow, we went on a tangent there. Hey? We did. But we came back around. We always <laughs> do. But we had that experience of creating value. And we were like, we need to do it again. Because the plan officially at that point was, okay, we're going to buy this house. This is going to be our place that we're going to move into. But we want to buy another place that's going to be an investment property. Our first investment property needs to happen within a year. But we didn't know... We kind of, we were on the fence. So is it going to be a separate property 
Or is it going to be adding a secondary suite into the house that we bought? So we didn't know exactly what it was, but that was something that was also in our mind when we were looking for houses. Like, how could we easily take the downstairs and turn it into an apartment to offset our mortgage cost? Yeah. So we didn't, that's kind of where we were. It was actually a really nerve wracking experience to not only be moving across the country, but going to a city that we'd literally never been before. It was weird because we didn't know what areas were good, what areas were bad. It was a really confusing sort of time. Yeah. I think that's also when we realized just how different real estate is and each like geographic location is so different. Like real estate in Nova Scotia at the time, even now, it's still way different than out in Alberta. Um, so that's where we relied on our realtor, Hazel, who was really great throughout the process. She took us around, showed us the areas that were good, t- kind of said, okay, like this is a house that you could put a basement apartment in, or this area doesn't allow that type of development. Like she really got what we were trying to do, the financial freedom we wanted to create out of our home. But that was because when we were trying to find a realtor, we were like um, searching for realtors that specialized in secondary suites. Remember, Mm. we wanted someone that understood properties that had the potential to be investment properties because we always knew when we bought that place out there, yes, we're moving into it. It's going to be our home, but it needs to have some sort of a use after it so it could provide us some passive income. Yeah, exactly. And so when we found the house, like we fell in love with it right away. It's called a four level split. So it's two levels, like one all the way in the basement underground, one partially above ground, and then two above ground. It's an affordable way of increasing the square footage um, on a smaller lot size. Yeah. So it's also really well designed to split into two units. So the bottom two floors become one unit, the top two floors become one unit. So we got to work. We didn't know exactly what we were going to do. We didn't do any structural things to it. It was strictly all cosmetic. And we just got to work on renovating it, making it our own, modernizing it, because that was something we wanted was the ability to, again, build equity. But the thing was, we didn't have the money to be able to split that home into two because that is such an expensive renovation that we just wanted to do cosmetic renovations at that point. You can do it cheaper, but we always believe in permitting and doing things above board. And this is why people say, have said about the land, you could do it so much easier if you weren't concerned about permits. Why are you going after permits? Because you're making an investment, like it is an investment, I want it to be able to be sold at the end. So a lot of times you'll see basement apartments that are added that aren't permitted. So they don't meet the safety codes and all these different things. The fire rating, all of it. And so if something happens in that unit, your basement tenant has a kitchen fire and that spreads to the upper unit, like your insurance could be void because you haven't followed the proper procedure. So that was just something we weren't willing to do. And then we So we just stuck to the cosmetic and we figured out another way to enter the investment property market of becoming landlords. Yeah. So our friend, our best, best, best friend at the time, she was like, you know what? I'm moving across the country too. There's better job prospects in Edmonton. And she moved into the house with us for a couple of months, like while she was trying to find a place to rent, but she could not find a place anywhere. It was so difficult to find a rental spot. So... Todd and I were like, you know what? This is our opportunity. So we bought our first investment property, which was a condo. 
it needed a little bit of work, like had old, like gross carpet. So we put down laminate, we painted, we made it nice. And then once we started getting rent checks, that was the the point where we were like, okay, in 25 years from now, all the rent that we collect, this place is going to be paid off. How amazing is it that somebody else is going to be paying our mortgage? That's going to give us financial freedom. Yeah. And so it wasn't like this one property wasn't the key to financial freedom. But it, it was our, it was the first step. Yeah. It's like, so this is the thing. Real estate, our real estate at least, doesn't necessarily cash flow a huge amount. So that's because we're very conservative in how we do it. So we bring, the way it works, we bring our rent in and then obviously we have to pay the mortgage and the interest. So we pay that. Then from the top line of the rent, so say rent is $1,000, 5% of that for will go into an account for vacancy and because we know there is going to be a time when you're trying to re-rent that no one's there paying the rent. So we put 5% away and then we put another 5% away because we know there's going to be repairs and maintenance that are going to come up and you can't plan for them. You can't plan when a fridge is going to break. Yeah. So we always put little bits away, which obviously means there's less left over in our bank account for like paying for life but it was really cool because we started to it wasn't about seeing it now it's the fact that back to what I was saying about pensions that was us having control of our retirement Mm -hmm. because it's a long-term investment yeah it that was always the thing in our head was the financial freedom of (laughs) if you're if you're watching this Eddie is like I don't know what he's doing. What right are you now. doing, little buddy? You gotta lay down. You gotta lay down, buddy. But yeah, long story short, it was realizing that if we don't do this, if we don't take these risks today, we'll regret it later because like I I just don't wanna be locked into a job. We knew that. That was always the intention. If we weren't happy in our jobs one day, we wanted to be able to leave knowing that we have our own pension. We've created our own money, our own financial security in the future without having to rely on somebody else. And once we got a taste of that with the first investment property, the condo, we put our heads down and we were like, we need to buy more. We need to, we need to do more. We need to always be like renovating. And that really, we set out on that path. Yeah. So our goal wasn't, it was to work our jobs for quite a while. Like we thought we were shaving like maybe 10 years off of our our work life by having these properties. But then I don't know how you got onto it, but the HELOC Mm -hmm. home equity line of credit, that's when we realized that, Oh, we don't have to sell our house to access the equity that we've built in it. That changed everything. It really did. And that's when we were able to start like seeing the reward a bit quicker. So I guess basically we want to preface this by saying this is not a roadmap to real Mm -hmm. estate investing. This is our experience based off of our situation in our jurisdiction. Everywhere has different laws about things and everywhere has a different setup. So just don't come for us if (laughs) if you take this as advice. But basically how it works is Say you bought a place for $100,000 and you had to put 20% down into the house. You have a loan for $80,000. However, if 
you increase the value of the property and it's now worth $150,000 if you were to sell it. Instead, you can get it appraised and you get 80% of that new value, which 80% of 150, whatever that equals. Um, 30. 30? Yeah. No. So, wouldn't it? 20? 80% of 150. Oh, sorry. So it'd be 120. So 120 minus your original mortgage of 80,000. So you have an extra 40,000 in equity that you can use to purchase the next property as your down payment. That's a very super simplified, basic way of explaining how it works. But what we quickly found out was these places that we were renovating and improving them, the value was worth significantly more so we could access that value that we created and sooner, sooner. And yes, we would still have to chip in some of our own money, but it wasn't as much as saving up for a full another down payment again. And then the renovation again. So that was really helpful and really sped things along for us. Yeah. A way that the HELOC was also really beneficial for us was the fact that we were doing the renovations ourselves opposed to paying a crew to come in. Well, the economics wouldn't have worked. Like no. you, you can't, hire a crew and pay all this money and then think that you, the value is going to go up enough that your renovations were less like it, the math just doesn't work. You really need to be doing the work yourself. Yeah. And so we also, we, again, back to the couponing, we're watching for the sales. So we had a garage in our house and we always had material stored there because we knew that mm -hmm. there was going to be another project at some point. So if toilets were on sale, we'll take two and we'll store them in the garage for now. Yeah. I think all those little decisions like made it so much easier and we loved it. Like it was always fun trying to make our dollar into two so it could go further. And I think... A way you can like clearly see this, it, when you look at the videos of when we went out to Edmonton and like decided to move back, and remember we were packing up all our stuff, people were shocked with how much stuff we had jammed into that crawl space. That wasn't all of our stuff. That was things that we had bought for staging units and renovation material. Like we had continued, had planned on continuing and keeping going. Like we, yeah. we loved it. Yeah, it was a, obviously like it's, it was the thing that gave us the ability to leave our jobs in the first place. I think what I liked about all the projects and like renovations that we did is we always made sure we tried something at least once. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. There are things that we love doing on a property flip and there are things that we absolutely hate doing, but we will always try them once. For example, one house we bought had 1956 hardwood floor in it. So we decided to sand that down, restain it, reseal it, restore the hardwood. I would never, ever do that again. Don't we have recommend. hardwood at the lake. And if it ever needs done, I will pay someone. I'll give them my left kidney. They can take the right one too if they want. I will never do that project again. It is a very messy and time-consuming job. It took so many evenings of us doing that. The corners. The, yeah. the sander was round, so you had to get in on your hands and knees to get all the corners by hand. Or the cat pee house. Remember that? Oh, yeah. So this one house was um, infested with cats. That one was really bad because... 
when we took possession, they left an entire dumpster full of furniture and cat feces yeah. and like it was really soiled bad. clothing, all of that behind. Yeah. It was so bad that two feet up the entire wall in the basement, we had to remove the drywall, get this special product that encased the two by four studs inside in this membrane that will never allow scents to come through. Basically, it went on like a spray paint, but it was plastic. I think it's called Plastiseal or something like that. But we had to spray all of the two by fours. Yeah. So that we couldn't get it in because there was nothing. We had done ammonia, ozone, all the different things. And this was from our research and talking to like calling around. This was our best option. Yeah. And then we were able to replace the drywall because the cats had peed through the Jiprock drywall into the studs. That's how bad it was. But it was a fun project. Like, But... I mean, that kind of goes to like the properties that we were going to tackle were places that no one wanted, like basically condemned. Another place that we bought was like, it was a crack house. There's no way to explain it. There was machetes everywhere. Like In the ceiling, there was a machete when we took the drop ceiling down and the furnace had um, cocaine and pills in it. Yeah. Like it was nuts. <laughs> there were people living in tents in the backyard. Yeah. And that was the house that we restored the um, floors in because they had spray painted like just one night decided to just start spray painting everywhere so it was up the walls and across the floor one bedroom they just painted the floor black like so it was taking all that back up but we like that like a real diamond in the rough which was cool because we were able to take a property that really no one wanted convert it into this beautiful place that we were able to rent out and it wasn't in like it was in a really good part of the city too how this house got into that state I don't understand. Like yeah. all the it's other kind of weird, huh? It was weird. It's not like it was a rough area of town or something. It was a nice family area. And that one was really cool because that was the first time that we were actually able to push ourselves and challenge ourselves more. It wasn't just a um, cosmetic renovation. That was our first time installing a secondary suite in the house. We were taking one property that was already a rental. And converting it into two rentals, which was a huge learning curve. Way different than what we thought. Way different, but also way more profitable because now one house is two. So you're getting two rents and also a lot better for the area because now there are more places for people to live. Yeah, and some some areas have... Um, grant programs or financing options to help with the construction costs that if you're looking at adding a secondary suite, it helps with that increasing the density of the of the city of the area yeah. because they're like cities are starting to realize, especially in like prairie places, Alberta, I find has really bad urban sprawl. So everyone wants that dream of their own home, their own house, you know, with the picket fence backyard. So I find, they it got really big because there's no mountains restricting them. They could just keep going. It's fields. So yeah. 
I bet you it's like that in a lot of places in the U.S. too, where cities just become so sprawling that it could take like <laughs> two hours to drive across. Totally. Well, remember that we when we moved to Alberta and we dipped into the states because gas was cheaper for the drive across. Oh yeah. And we went through Chicago and it. We were oh, like, oh yeah, that went on forever. Forever. We were like, what is this place? Chicago is a big city though, like yeah. bigger than what I thought. Way bigger. But anyway, <laughs> that's another tangent. But. I guess the point being is the more of these projects that we got ourselves into and the more, I don't know, the the more confidence that we got that one day and one day soon, we may feel comfortable enough with our financial future that we could leave our jobs. And something really common that we constantly get asked and people bring it up in our YouTube videos is, oh, it must be nice to be a YouTuber and like to you know, be able to do these different projects that we've done, the land and now here. And the reality is we ended up leaving our jobs before we ever started a YouTube channel because of real estate. Real estate has truly been the key to our financial freedom. Yes, it it is great being a YouTuber. We love doing this. We love creating. But if we weren't creating these videos, we would be renovating properties. I would be doing the spreadsheets. Like we would be doing the thing that we used to do, you know? And I think that's what's interesting. So starting the land project, I kind of thought it was going to be that same feeling Mm -hmm. of, you know, renovating. I didn't quite understand how different developing from scratch, building from scratch is. That's something I'm excited about here is with this, everything seems way more accomplishable, if that makes sense, at the lake. Like, it's more back to what we had done. And I I feel like that kind of adds to our confidence. Sure, we left our jobs before we had YouTube, but we were confident people because of everything that we had gone through renovating those properties that we felt comfortable starting a YouTube because it's not easy doing this. Like, yeah. the negative comments. You but- really, especially lately, the world is... There's definitely something afoot in the internet. We have never, ever received as much like opinions and negative comments as we have lately. And I think it's probably because, you know, we're opening ourselves up more and we're talking about it. We've wanted to talk about this topic for so long, but we've been so afraid because it's it's easy for someone to say, oh yeah, like look at these guys, they're slummy landlords. And like, this is like a controversial topic now. It makes which me is- nervous. Even within our friends and stuff, I don't like to discuss our like history with real estate and that we have rental properties. Which is so sad because I really think it's something that we should be proud of. We've been so uncomfortable to talk about it because we know that it, it that people will be controversial about it when in reality we are two guys that had nothing worked hard saved our money invested in real estate saw an opportunity put the work in ourselves and that is like the burning question is it our responsibility as citizens to provide housing for people or is it the government's responsibility like that's where I kind of like it's all and even we get conflicted on things so for instance we have a couple units that are short-term rentals and we've made the decision that we're taking them off so 
in the next month or so our bookings and because we didn't want to cancel anything that was in because people have made plans, but we are returning them to the long term market because we think that that's the right thing to do. Like it's, yeah. it, there's a housing shortage right now. So I, I feel like that's a conscious decision we're making. We could keep doing, you know, Airbnb because there's different pros and cons to a short term yeah. and a long term. But we, Airbnb is a lot more work. People are a lot more needy. There's mm-hmm. just a lot more admin that goes into it. But your property doesn't get the wear and tear of a long-term rental. Like I know most people are good and most people are like they're not going to destroy your house but all it takes is one and unfortunately we did have that one Mm -hmm. we had a family that was renting a house that the first house that we moved into in Edmonton when we moved out of it some that family did sixty thousand dollars worth of damage all the walls all the floors Everything. The appliances, it all, it all had, I think we were able to save the fridge. We took a lot of Lysol wipes and cleaned her out, but that whole entire dumpster filled with stuff that they just left. Not to mention all their garbage, the six months of rent that they just forgot to pay. And so it's like, there are, there's so many different ways to look at this. And that's why I I just get uncomfortable because everyone sees it from a different lens based on their experience and sort of what they've been through. I just think it's kind of a weird situation and time that we're in because when we first started on this path, the real estate path, I'll call it, it was something that, that if our friends were doing it or family or you heard it on TV, it was something to be really proud of. And wow, kudos to them. They're working so hard. Like, go get it. It was never a negative thing. But as housing has become more expensive, as everyone's rent has gone up, it's been easy to point the finger at your neighbor who may be hustling, may have an investment property, and, you know, is doing those things. When personally, in my opinion, the finger should be pointed at the government. It should be pointed at these multi-billion dollar companies that are going and buying all those places like a reach like uh, yeah real estate real estate income trust like they're yeah. a large corporation that i feel when someone thinks of the stereotypical slumlord that's what they're thinking of that type of organization where there's tax incentives to jack up the rent but decrease the maintenance you're doing on it and the units suffer and they become what people call a slumlord. But I feel like people like you and I that just have a couple of places trying to, you know, secure our own financial freedom and look after our retirement, we get lumped in with that as well. So for instance... But that's because there's no nuance in the conversation. People, when you turn on the news, that's what you hear. That's what people see on social media. So these are the people that are causing the housing crisis. Is it our responsibility or is it the government's responsibility to ensure that there is enough housing supply for people? Like it's, it, it really tiptoes into socialism for me when people, individual people are to blame for something that housing should be a human right. People should be able to like have a comfortable place to live but that's not on me as a citizen. That's on the government. It also ha- is on your conscience. So for instance, we could have taken the path of being the deferring the maintenance, you know, letting the properties fall down into yeah. like 
let the condition disrepair, yeah. yeah, but still increase the rent. We don't do that. No. So our longest rental, I think, is was five years. Um, the family moved on. But in that five years, we never once increased the rent. We have not increased any of our rents except for this year as new tenants are moving in because the interest rates went up. Because in Canada, every five yeah. years, you have to renegotiate your mortgage. So because interest rates are higher, we still kept the same ratio of how much like we increased the rent. So we were comfortable with how much we were making off of it before. We don't need to gouge. We literally increased it by the increase but in the interest. But that's because the difference though, between the, between like a small time like property owner, landlord, like what we are, and a big billion dollar company, the big billion dollar company answers to shareholders. The shareholders mm-hmm. are, I want the highest return possible. You need to be pumping every cent out of those people that are living there where you and I we want people that are living in our places to long be term. good tenants long term. Hey, is something broken? Let me know. I want to fix it. So the yeah. house, like it is just, it's a different thing, but that's we where- We just need to make enough to put on a batch of homebrew once a month and plant our little gardens. We don't need to be out here on private jets, you know? All I want is in 25 years, well less now because we've owned them for several years, but when all of those properties that we own, when all of the mortgages are done, we own those and at that time we can sell them or if we want to continue renting them, all that rent becomes our pension that Mm -hmm. we would have had to have had we stayed in our jobs. That's the benefit of real estate truly for me is we were able to leave our jobs because we don't need to make a crazy amount of money every month so that we need to save because we we got our savings out of the way in our early 20s by buying real estate other people are saving for us that's the power of it yeah and back to what you were saying about like government like how you blame government something i get confused about and so obviously there is a cost to real estate there housing has a cost it's a human right. Everyone should have a warm, safe place to live. But the, the material for your shelter has to be paid somehow. Mm-hmm. I What I get confused about and where I get so frustrated with the cost of housing, especially in Canada, where we are, in my opinion, very overregulated in home construction. Yeah. And that adds to the cost, which adds to the purchase price, which adds to the rental price, which adds to the maintenance cost. All of it. And when you look at, so we're on the East Coast. We have a lot of houses here that were built in the 17, 1800s. They are still standing. They are still moving hands, like transacting on the real estate market. And that's because they weren't built with popsicle sticks. But but even still, a house back built in the 50s, I would take that over one built today with all these safety regulations and all these extra add-ons that you... It is just so expensive to meet code and for what? So that the material companies can profit. Like look at who designs the code in Canada. (laughs) It's all big corporations. It's a consultancy, like it's a board and they're all representatives from the largest insulation company, the largest glass company, the largest engineering firm. Of course, they're going to say you need thicker walls of insulation now. That helps their bottom line. But does it, does a house from the 50s that costs less to construct, that still keeps people warm, like there's a a diminishing return on all the code that they have in place, I find. And that is really where I think we're starting to see 
things. And we haven't even gotten into, sorry, I'm on a rant now, I guess I opened up, but like we haven't even gotten to the implication that that is going to have on the house insurance market. Oh yeah. Because your house that you bought for 200,000 and it was built in the eighties. Well, the replacement cost of that is probably 700,000 now. So you're now going to have to insure that for that amount and insurance companies are going to start putting up the price because they need that money. Like it, it's scary. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, I, I think a lot of the controversy and where people get mad, I'm may get canceled for saying this, but Gen Z, they really listen. You guys have it rough. There is no way around oh, yeah. that, but I don't think that pointing the fingers at millennials and the baby boomers and saying like, this is something you see on social media all the time that the baby baby boomers doing the dance, like selling their house, selling their house that they bought for $68,000 and it's like a million dollars now. It's not, it's really not productive to be blaming the generation that came before you hold your elected officials accountable. It's not it's not your neighbor's responsibility to ensure that people have adequate housing. It's the government. There, it's it's so true. There's so many ways. So as we said in Canada, you have to renegotiate your mortgage every 5 years. You can do 2 2 to 5 years. Yeah. Why? I bought my house 22 years ago and you're now telling me the cost of the money that you spent to the previous owner 22 years ago is costing you more? No. Why Why do we have that law? That is something that they can change. Yeah. But government does that because it helps banks' profits. They're able to adjust according to marketing, like the inflation or the interest market. Or I sip my tea at that one. Like, it's so true. Like, they're all, governments are just in cahoots with big business and it's, it's been that way for the last like 50 years, but it's especially bad now. It just, it, it makes, it does make me sad that we can't be incredibly proud of what we've built cha- has literally changed our life. And without real estate and without being smart and investing along the way, we would never be where we are now. Yeah. I didn't expect when we got into it, I didn't, I feel like the housing shortage happened fast. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe people, it the signs were always there, but it just, I think since COVID, it just became really apparent. Yeah. And that's why I get so conflicted on it now. Like I'm not, I'm not embarrassed of how we got here or like wishing I did it another way. It's just what makes it sad is I know that that comes at a cost of someone else could have bought that house too. And, but that but goes they, with everything. Yeah. You, you want to buy, you want to go to the dealer and buy that used Corolla. Well, someone gets there before you and buys it. Yeah. You know, like there's so, yeah, it's just a very, I hard. think the problem though is like a used Corolla versus like someone having like a warm roof over their head. But then again, like, why isn't there more? Like, I, I always go back to the government side of things, but. It's just, it's a complicated issue. It has so much nuance and you're right. I do, I feel more conflicted about it than I thought that I, I did, but I'm still proud. It's a weird, it's weird. Yeah. And it's not that I don't want to do more flips because I'm itching. That's why yeah. I'm really excited about here at the lake. Like this is more of a true 
flip here versus at the land, which was new construction all from scratch. And I'm really excited to get back into that because I find that's a passion for me. Home building, no. Like there's so within this, there's so many different things. Like a flipper isn't necessarily a builder. Mm-hmm. And you always say flip, but you that's not what you mean. No. So you you're you mean a renovation. Flip is when you buy a property, you renovate it and you sell it. That's not what we do. That's not like, we do, I guess, like a flip and hold. Yeah. So that's where the HELOC comes into play. So we buy the house, we renovate it. That's what I'm referring to as the flip. And then we hold it as a long-term yeah. um, rental. So yeah, sorry if my terminology wasn't Well, I there. just know what people are going to be like. Yeah, and see that, but that is a good example because flips like that hurt the um, real estate market for buyers because that changes the value of comparables mm-hmm. where ours aren't hitting the market. I'm just, Maybe I'm just rationalizing this for myself, but they're not hitting the market. So they're not actually increasing the comparables when you're pricing the house that you're trying to buy. And so the government did actually step up, at least in Canada. And there are penalties if, for flippers now because yeah. that is, that's a... And it also takes a house away from someone that may potentially want to renovate that place themselves and create equity like we had the opportunity to do. Yeah, exactly. But I guess it goes back to your Corolla thing. Like, well, maybe someone got there before you and they bought the Corolla, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's so tricky. But yeah, what do you think? Time for some tea? Yeah, we need some tea. <laughs> So I am in a precarious situation that I would love your help on. Three years ago, I was pursued by a married woman. After she convinced me to be with her, she brought me into her marriage. Fast forward to today, for the most part, things are good. Of course, a threesome has had its added difficulties, but we seem to manage. Now to the point. The wife is unable to have kids and the husband and wife want me to get pregnant for all of us. I'm sure that brings all kinds of holy crap, not to mention I live in a small town and my friends and family don't know of the dynamic. Everyone just thinks we are great friends. So would you step up and be willing to have a baby or would you decide it might be time to find your own thing? I can see good and bad in both. I would love your perspective. Thanks. Totally love you guys. Okay. Wow. That is a situation. That is a situation. That I I got to cut and run. I think that I I I feel bad that the wife can't have children. Yeah, that's tough. But if they're they're married like they have protection like what is what's the situation with you what here's here's my thing listen everyone has a different setup everyone's relationships are different how they look if like i want to be clear monogamy works for us it doesn't necessarily work for everyone oh wait are we supposed to be monogamous Oh, (laughs) got some explaining to do. (laughs) But this situation that they have, if this works for them, that's great. But I would want some like firm commitments that the three of you are going to make that relationship work for the long term before I'm ready to have kids. And that's what I was getting at. Like they, if they're married, there's divorce doesn't happen right away. There's, there's you can turn around at any point while you're walking down that path. Yeah. Whereas if you're just there, plus you were just brought in for being in a thruple. And the reason I say I would cut and run is because if you're not 
going to be comfortable to come out in that situation. How does the child explain it? A like, you got to explain is, at some point. At some point, people got to know why the three-year-old is calling you mom, her mommy, and him daddy. Yeah. Like, the, it, I just, I can't see it going well. Yeah, to, that's a really good point, actually. You live in a small town and your friends and family don't know of the dynamic. I think decide, are you ready for your friends and family to know of the dynamic? Mm -hmm. Make sure you do that first. Make sure you tell them you don't need their approval like that. You're not seeking that, of course, but definitely let them know before you get pregnant in a throuple. Uh, I think step one. I think so, too, because if not, like it's just you're raising the child in a clout of secrecy. Yeah. And, but wow, that's a situation. How does that come up? Like before or after the threesome? Did he just, you know, not put a condom on and be like, oh, sorry, we forgot to mention. Like, I just, I feel like it's a very, we don't know their relationship. Like, is it just a sex thing that you were brought in for? Or is there emotions and feelings? I'm assuming they're, must be if they're looking to have a family together but it just seems like it's still a little too wishy-washy i don't know if that was helpful or not but that is some serious tea that you have yeah and i just want to say i really do wish you the best totally it's just i hope whatever decision you make you can be truly open and authentic with it and just like live your life happy Wishing you all the best. And if you want some advice from us, head over to tylerandtodd.com slash podcast where you can share your tea and we will do our best to give you some sort of advice. <laughs> we'll just give you our hot take. We'll keep it real with you guys. Yeah. But thank you for joining us for another episode. We will see you next Wednesday. Bye. Bye.